0: again. But that's great. Uh, Like Josh said, a lot of work goes into that. Uh, We sent over 70 kids, middle school and high school, to winter camp, so great job. And uh, we've seen some significant decisions come out of that, some that you can measure and a lot that you can't. Um, But we're excited to see that. So so that's really a super thing. Well, good morning. How many of you thought that uh, you were coming to – you don't have to raise your hand, but some of you might have thought you were coming to the first service, right? And uh, here you go. It's actually second service, folks. And uh, looking forward to nice, long days starting today. That's going to be really great. Well, this morning we're uh, starting a brand new series about how to engage in a changing culture. And the title of the series is Be Salt and Light. And for the next four Sundays, we're going to be talking about this very timely subject, Because we live in an unprecedented age. The United States of America, the United States of America is right now more like the divided states of America. Every day our country wakes up to something new to fight about. And uh, not only do we find new things to fight about every day, but the level of discourse and the way we do discourse today is just in all capital letters all the time. And it's gotten to the point where you can't really have a conversation with anybody about anything anymore without offending someone. You can't talk about politics, that's for sure. You can't talk about religion. You can't talk about sports. You can't talk about the media. You can't even talk about that one subject that Americans have depended on for safe conversation since the founding of our country, the weather because if you talk with someone about the weather you might reveal whether you believe in climate change or not you know if they've taken the weather away from us what do we have left and now thanks to social media this dividedness it never goes away it used to be that it used to be that you your overly political relatives you'd only see them once or twice a year when they'd come over for the holidays and and then after dinner they would go home but now They live in your house, on your Facebook page, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, harping and harping about whatever it is that they harp on, and you don't know it, but they feel the same way about you. Used to be, they only had to come over to your house a couple times a year for the holidays, and and to hear you talk about how much you love Jesus and your church and the Bible. But now, uh, then they get to go home. But now you're in their house in their living room, on their Facebook page, every day, all day long, posting Bible verses and Christian memes and saying nice things about Jesus. They don't like your religion any more than you like their politics. It's this supercharged environment where nobody wants to listen to anybody about anything. And you add to that supercharged environment for those of us who are serious Jesus followers, the challenge is even bigger, because in addition to this supercharged climate we find ourselves in in the United States, we have this change in uh, the culture's relationship with Christianity. See, there's this growing gap between Christianity and our culture. Christianity used to enjoy kind of the home field advantage in the United States, and, and uh but but we are losing that home field advantage, and people who take following Jesus seriously are becoming cultural outliers. For the last couple of years, it's not been unusual for you to pick up your newspaper or your tablet or your phone or how, however you access the news and read headlines like this one from the Washington Post in May 2015, Christianity faces sharp decline as Americans are becoming even less affiliated with religion. And the article goes on to cite research by the, Pew Re- uh, by the Pew Research Center that shows this slow, steady decline in Christianity and a slow, steady rise in those who have no affiliation with any faith whatsoever. And here's what the Pew Research Center says about it. Older generations of American adults who were overwhelmingly Christian by affiliation and comparatively devout in belief and behavior are gradually passing away. They're being replaced by a new generation of young people who are, on the whole, less inclined to identify with any branch of Christianity and more religiously unaffiliated than older cohorts ever were, even when they were young. If these trends continue, American society is likely to go, grow less religious, even if those who are adults today maintain their current levels of religious commitment. This growing gap between Christianity and our culture, and it's, it's across all generations. George Barn has done some uh, research on this. And uh, here are some things that that he's found. Uh, We're looking at two categories. Religion is very important and attend religious services weekly or more. And it goes by generation, starting with the greatest generation. That would be uh, folks who were old enough to have fought in World War II. And then after that, the silent generation, people born basically in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, then you have the baby boomers born in 1946 and following Generation X. And millennials, those who are born, basically born between 1980 and 2000. And what you'll notice is religion is very important with the greatest generation. 72% and look what happens to the numbers. 72, 67, 59, 53, 41. Decreasing uh, uh, value, the decreasing value of religion across generations. And even though this usually grows over time, baby boomers haven't always been at 59%. They used to be lower also. Uh, researchers say it doesn't look like there's going to be any, a whole lot of movement between millennials, that they're going to stay at 41%, or not stay at 41%, but maybe even... But they're not going to see this historic shift as they grow older to becoming more uh, interested in, in things of faith. Now, for a church that wants to bend towards the generation behind us and reach those who are younger than we are with the gospel, that's not good news. This growing gap. Just today in the Union Bulletin, if you read the paper this morning, just today in the newspaper, there's an article about the decreasing levels of trust that that, uh, people have in various institutions in society. It's got a bunch of charts, today's Union Bulletin. So I took a picture of one of those charts. This is the chart that uh, shows how much uh, the community has confidence in the church or organized religion, all right? So confidence, 1973, 65% of our country had basic level of confidence in the church and organized religion, and it's now down to 41%, fewer than half of adults trust organized religion. Now, the good news is it's a lot better than Congress. It's a lot better than Congress, but it's still not what it used to be. Within living memory of many of the people here in this room, 1973, not that long ago, right? Within living memory of a lot of people in this room, and look at that change. We live in a changing culture. It's the way it is. So we've got this supercharged atmosphere, this growing gap between Christianity and our culture, and then you add to that one more, one more element, an increasing hostility to Christianity. Among many in our population, because uh, this highly cynical society, this highly combative culture, is becoming increasingly combative towards jesus followers, increasingly intolerant towards people who take following Jesus seriously and and that is expressing itself in this cynical, mocking disdainful attitude towards people of faith. And I don't want to sensationalize it, but I also want to call it out. I don't want to make scare everybody, but I want us to acknowledge that, that, that this is something that our country has never really experienced on the level that it's experiencing today, where Christian groups on college campuses are being expelled for holding historic Christian beliefs. Military chaplains are being reassigned for holding historic Christian beliefs. Just a few weeks ago in Louisiana, there was a town hall meeting uh, with uh, folks from a community and their their U.S. senator. The U.S. senator was coming to this town hall meeting. And there were they were expecting 200 people. They had 800 people at this town hall meeting. And they had a chaplain there who was going to open in prayer. And, and I, I would show the video to you, except it would make you so angry to see this. Because when this chaplain comes, when they say they're going to open this meeting in prayer, people, especially in the back, start to shout and boo and uh, really get ugly. And it gets extremely ugly when he closes the prayer in Jesus' name. And that's when it really breaks out. It's really, uh, you know, it's a disturbing thing to watch when you think that there are people in our country who want to treat uh, Christianity in that way. But the truth is, many in our country view Christianity as just another form of hate speech. I don't want to sensationalize it, but I want to say it's different than it used to be. It's different than it used to be. We need to understand that. Their uh, American culture today is supercharged with a growing gap between our culture and Christianity and a growing hostility or at least intolerance towards those who follow Jesus. And here's what you get when you add all these things together: supercharged atmosphere, growing gap, increasing hostility. You've got big challenges if you're a person who takes following Jesus seriously. Because it's really hard to communicate in this kind of environment. Because we've lost, uh, in addition to the fact that we're all so sensitive about everything, we've also lost common values and a common vocabulary to communicate with. Values that we used to share in our culture, in areas like sex and marriage and even gender. Values that we used to hold as, as a, both, both society and people of faith. Sex, gender, marriage, even the, even the value of the Bible. The Bible used to be viewed as a, a, a valuable source of authority and truth. These are long-standing values that have been held in our society, and our society has now begun to reject these. So that now it's hard to know even how to talk about sex and marriage and gender. It's hard to know even how to talk about these things. And if we did talk about them, what words would we use? What words would we use? Because our culture doesn't have any context anymore for words like sin or righteousness. We don't really even have a, much, of a, much of a meaningful category for God, let alone if you add the, add the adjective holy God to that. We don't even have those categories. So, so how do you talk about those things? We don't see the Bible as a meaningful source of truth oh, and by the way, what is truth? We can't, we can't even agree on what is news, let alone what is truth. And now 60% of Americans think that it is extreme for a, a Christian to try to persuade another person to follow Jesus. 60% say that's extreme behavior. And it looks like we're taking their advice. Because we don't have those conversations with people anymore. Because we don't know how. We have lost this ability. We don't, we don't know how to be in the minority. We only know how to be the home team. We don't know how to take it on the road. So we retreat. We withdraw from culture. And we, we create these Christian subcultures around us. Where, where we're just surrounded by people who are exactly like us. And we never have to cross paths or have a conversation with someone who is different from us. George Barna has done some really interesting uh, research on this, and he's surveyed Americans, and he's asked this question. Now, before we look at the slide, I want you to absorb this question. Which groups do you think it would be difficult for you to have a natural and normal conversation with? The weather. Okay? Which groups would it be difficult for you? The weather. Uh, how's your kid doing at school? All right, Just those kinds of conversations. A natural and normal conversation. Which groups do you think would be difficult for you to have a natural and normal conversation with? And here's what he found. I want to show you. Uh, Here, we've got all adults, evangelicals, like it or not, that's you and me. We may not like that label. It's lost a lot of meaning and gained a lot of unfortunate meaning in the last few months. But... But uh, that's us, people who take the Bible seriously, who believe Jesus is the one God sent, that you have to personally choose to put your trust in Him, to have a repaired relationship with God. That's an evangelical. So like it or not, that's you. And then people of other faiths. So percentage of adults and percentage of evangelicals. And then you have these different categories of people. Muslims, Mormons, atheists, evangelicals, LGBT community. The percentage of adults who can have a natural and normal conversation with a person of the Muslim faith, 73% of adults say, yes, I could talk to a Muslim about the weather. Evangelicals, 87%. Now, these are people who would be uncomfortable, all right, uncomfortable having a conversation with Muslims. 73% of Americans would be uncomfortable, but 87% of evangelicals would be uncomfortable talking to a Muslim. Uh, 60% 60% of Americans would be uncomfortable talking with a Mormon, but 67% of evangelicals would be uncomfortable talking with a Mormon. Could you, who, who would it be uh, natural for you to have a normal, or difficult for you to have a conversation with? Uh, percentage of adults say, 56% say, it would be difficult for me to have a normal conversation with an atheist. You know how many look at this eighty five percent of evangelicals say i couldn 't really talk to an atheist about i couldn 't i couldn 't do that. It would be difficult for me to have a natural and normal conversation with an with an atheist oh but but there 's a group of people I can really talk to there's a group of people they are so easy to talk to they 're just the nicest people they're evangelicals u s adults fifty five percent about the same number of people who'd be 'd th- be difficult to uh, talk to an atheist is the same percent it would be difficult to talk to you. But, oh, evangelicals, we love them. They're so easy to talk to. Only 28% of us would find that difficult. How about a LGBT community? It's kind of around the same as these others between a general population, but 87% of Jesus' followers would find it difficult to have a conversation with someone uh, from the uh, LGBT community. That's crazy. We can't have a natural, normal conversation with someone who practices a gay lifestyle. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me. We can't have a, a conversation with someone who's a Muslim. We can't have a conversation with someone uh, who, who is of the Mormon faith. We find that difficult. And yet we're supposed to be salt and light, and we can't even talk to people who are different from us? Here's the deal. Yes, society has changed. Yes, our society has changed. Our culture has changed. It's going to continue to change. But our role in the world has not changed. Our job has not changed. See, we are recipients of the best news ever. The best news ever is that God created humankind to have a relationship with Him. And even though we have uh, ruined that opportunity, God has offered it again through His Son, Jesus. That God sent His Son to die in our place and rise again so so that we could trust Him and have a repaired relationship with God. We could live with Him in this life and live forever with Him in eternity. And that is the best news ever. And we are recipients of that news, and our lives have been changed by that news. But the way that we entered into that relationship with God is someone told us. Someone told us what Jesus has done. And that's exactly the way it's supposed to work. Jesus said that you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus said, go make disciples of every nation and every people group and every culture. Teaching them, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, them to obey everything I've commanded you. You are to do this. You and I. So, yes, our culture has changed, but our job has not changed. Yes, it's gotten more complicated, no doubt. It's gotten more complicated. It's gotten more challenging. It's gotten uh, riskier. But it's still our job. It's still our job. And fortunately, we're not without direction in how to go about this because we actually can see something similar to the shift that we've described this morning. We can actually see something like that in our Bibles, in our New Testaments. And I want to take a few minutes today to introduce kind of a helpful way to think about what we're experiencing, to show us that it's not the first time this has happened, and to give us some idea of, of what a proper response might begin to look like as we start to unpack the next three Sundays. So, What I'd like for you to do is take your Bibles and open them to the book of Acts. So all I'm going to do this morning is kind of introduce this idea. We're going to build on it over the next three Sundays. But if you'll open your Bibles to the book of Acts, and we'll start in Acts chapter 2. So the book of Acts is a record of the growth of Christianity. And it starts in just the weeks after Jesus' death and resurrection. So just weeks after Jesus was crucified and rose again, he ascended into heaven, and that's where... The, the record of Acts starts to pick up. And, it's, and it traces the, the growth of this Jesus movement over the next few weeks and months and years and a couple of decades. And we get to see uh, what happens in the, in the early Jesus movement. And you can actually see how Christianity engaged a changing culture as you read through the book of Acts. And the most telling contrast is found in two chapters. One of them is Acts chapter 2. We're going to start there. The other chapter is Acts chapter seventeen, and if you if you compare Acts chapter two and Acts chapter seventeen, you see this, you see two entirely different cultures, and how two men approach those two different cultures. Now, I'm not going to read these two chapters too too long to read and too much to talk about in them. If we if we did, but what you could do this afternoon is you could read these two chapters, and what you'll be reading is you'll be reading some of the very first. Christian messages, Christian sermons ever preached. Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches it. It's the first Christian sermon ever. And then Acts chapter 17, just a couple decades later. So what you could do this afternoon is you could, you could sit down and read these two messages and see, how, uh, see, see some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. Now, Acts 2, that's where we're at right now, it takes place in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the headquarters of the Jewish religion. And in this very first Christian sermon ever preached, Peter preaches it. He's one of Jesus' 12 original followers. And he's telling the people around Jerusalem who Jesus is. Now, in Acts chapter 2, in Jerusalem, these are Jews that Peter is speaking with. These are Jews, and even if they're not Jesus' followers, which they're not yet, they're not Jesus' followers, but they share a common culture, With Jesus followers because they all have this Jewish heritage so that means that they have many truths and they share a number of common truths that are foundational to responding to salvation in Jesus they share common spiritual values and a common faith in God they've all been brought up as monotheists they've all been brought up believing in the true God they all know what he's like that he's a God who's both loving and holy they all know the history of how he's been at work in the world because it's their history. And they all know it. And and they're all been steeped in the Old Testament, reading the law and reading the prophets and they know all about God's love and his holiness and they know all about sin and they've they've been observing the sacrificial system and how that works and the lessons that you learn about God and sin. And forgiveness from that, and so when Peter starts sharing his message, he has all of this to build on. He has this common scripture, this common spiritual understanding, theological foundation that they share, and so uh, he's already got all of this to build on. See, they're already expecting a Messiah. All Peter's going to do is introduce the one they're already expecting. They're expecting a Messiah. They know why they need a Messiah. They've been told to, uh, to anticipate Him, and they're all doing that. So all Peter has to do, he's, he's, they're already well on their way, and all Peter has to do is deliver the goods. So he gets up in front of them, and he uh, makes reference to the Old Testament prophets that they all know about. And he makes reference to the Psalms that they all know about. And he draws on their shared knowledge of history, of God's work in the world. And then he gets to Jesus. He gets to Jesus and he says, The Messiah you've been expecting, then everyone, the prophets and the Psalms talked about, his name is, his name is Jesus. By the way, he's the one you just crucified. He's the one you just crucified and God raised him from the dead. And so if you're not sure that, it's really, that it was really Jesus, well, he's raised him from the dead. So that's all the evidence you need. And so these people are like, wait a minute, the one God sent, the one we've been waiting for, he's the one we crucified? And Peter said, yep. And they said, well, what what should we do? See how ready they are? Well, what should we do? And Peter says this, he says, repent and be baptized. Boom, he calls for the question. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Christ is Messiah. So in the name of Jesus Messiah, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them. You know what happened that day? 3,000 people responded. 3,000 people, because they were, it was their next step. It was their very next step to respond to Jesus. And 3,000 people did on that day and were baptized. Now you contrast that with what you find in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, you are not in Kansas anymore. You are not Peter in Jerusalem, the headquarters of biblical literacy. You are Paul in the city of Athens. It's the same era, basically, it's just a couple decades later, but it's an entirely different place. So it's an entirely different culture. And everything Jerusalem was, Athens was not. Jerusalem was orthodox and biblically literate, acquainted with the true God and His work in the world, steeped in the truths of the Old Testament. Athens was not. Athens was the internet of the first century. Athens was the Reddit page of the first century. It was a marketplace of ideas and philosophies and religions and art and learning, and everybody with a crazy idea went to Athens to talk about it. There was a university there that had been, existed for centuries. There were shrines and temples and sculptures everywhere, all of them dedicated to various gods and goddesses and idols. And all of this revealed a culture that was very sophisticated and very religious, Just like the United States, the United States is the, by far, the most religious country of all the industrialized nations. So very religious and very sophisticated, but very far from the true God. So when Paul gets there with the good news of Jesus, that God created humankind to have a relationship with them, and even though we've broken that, God sent Jesus, his son, to provide us with a way to have a repaired relationship with him again. Even though he goes there with the good news of Jesus, he is not impressed. He is not impressed with their learning. He is not impressed with their sophistication. He's not impressed with their beautiful art. Instead, he's torn up over how far they are from the true God. Acts 17, verse 16 says, Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Idols everywhere. And hardly, hardly even a glimpse of the possibility of talking with them about the true God. But he doesn't give up just because there's this big gap. There's a big gap, but that doesn't... The culture's changed, but his job hasn't changed. His job is to bring the good news of Jesus to all cultures, biblically literate or otherwise, so he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up, but he does start in an entirely different place. you got to read it. He starts at an entirely different place. If he would have preached Peter's sermon from the Old, from the old Testament, quote, quoting the prophets and the Psalms, those people wouldn't have understood a thing he was saying. So instead of quoting the Bible... He converses with them. He converses with them. He quotes their philosophers. And he quotes their poets. And he says, you guys, you have people here who say this. Let's talk about that. And they talk about it. He quotes them. Quotes their philosophers, their poets. And ultimately, he gets to the gospel too. Ultimately, he gets to the gospel also, but in a very different way than Peter. And instead of 3,000 people, instead of that being the next step for, for 3,000 people, it's only a few people that he talks to that trusting Jesus is their next step. A few people, that's their next step. Some people trust, but some people reject. And, and a pretty sizable group of people say, Wow, that's really interesting. We should talk about that some more. Okay? Okay. As you read what, what unfolds in Acts chapter 17, you get this sense that, that a lot of what happens in that chapter is what's going on today. There, it's a pretty good picture of what's happening today because we've moved from an Acts 2 culture to an Acts 17 culture. Like it or not, it's the, it's the truth. The United States is less and less Jerusalem and where we all share the same values. We all share the, some basic biblical literacy and people know about who Jesus is and what he's done and they just need to choose him. We have moved from that to a culture more and more like the city of Athens, a religious free-for-all where, where following Jesus is just one of many options. Where, our, where uh, following Jesus is just one of many options and where, where we need a lot more explaining done for us about who Jesus is and who God is and what all of this means. So if we want to help people experience a life that Jesus brings, we've got to figure out a way to move from our Acts, 17 way of, Acts 2 way of thinking about people and relating to people to an Acts 17 way of thinking about people and relating to people. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next three Sundays after today. How to be an Acts 17 church. How we can be an Acts 17 church. How you can be an Acts 17 believer because the people in your life are a lot more like the people of Athens than the people of Jerusalem. How do you navigate that when your family is a lot more like this than like this? That's what we're going to talk about over the next several Sundays. But probably the right way to end our conversation right now is by taking a minute to examine our own feelings. And that's what I want you to do for a minute. I want you to examine your own feelings about what's happening in our country. How does it make you feel? A lot of what we've talked about today probably bothers you especially if we've we've talked about this growing gap and declining participation in faith and, and this hostility that some people have towards Christianity, it probably bothers you. And I want to ask you, why does it bother you? Why are you bothered to think about the decline of Christianity in America? Why are you bothered to think about the hostility and intolerance that some people have towards you and your beliefs? Why does that bother you? Does it bother you because you feel like you're losing your voice? Your influence? Does it bother you because you're starting to feel like a minority and you feel that threatens you? Are you bothered because it makes you a little bit afraid for yourself and your kids? Well, the truth is, following Jesus for much of the world today and more often than not throughout history, has meant when you turn to Jesus, you lose your influence. It's meant losing your influence. It's meant, joy, it's meant throughout history and in much of the world today, it's meant becoming part of the minority. It's meant being afraid for yourself and for your children. That's just what following Jesus means to people in other parts of the world and throughout history. That's not what should bother us. What should bother us is not that we're losing our influence. What should bother us is what bothered Paul as he walked through this city far from God. A city full of idols, a city filled with people who would live forever somewhere, but were so far from knowledge of the true God, not just one step, but so many steps. So far from a knowledge of the true God. And as a result, they had no access to the life that that this God wants to bring them. They have no access to grace and mercy and forgiveness and meaning in life and the hope that Jesus brings. That's what distressed Paul. And that's what should distress you and me. That's what should distress us. That we live in a world where three billion people have no access to the gospel that we live in a country of over 300 million souls who will live forever somewhere but are more excited that Beyonce is having twins than that God sent his son that we live in a valley of 50,000 people or at least 30,000 people 30,000 of them have not been reached with the good news that Jesus came to bring. And that's what should distress us. That's what should bother us. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. This is our problem. This is our problem, and it's our job to do something about it. So let's be distressed. Let's be distressed, but let's be distressed for the right reason. And then let's do something about it. Let's be distressed for the right reason and then do something about it. And let's ask God to give us the wisdom that we're going to need and the boldness that we're going to need to be the salt and the light that He has called us to be in the day and age in which we live. That's what we need. Wisdom boldness, so that we can do the job that God's called us to do. And that's what I want to close with this morning. I want to ask God to give us what we need to do that. Father, as we uh, think about the world you've placed us in, we know that we're not here by accident, that, that of all the eras in which we could have lived, we live in the United States of America in the 21st century, and there's a reason for that. And even though uh, we experience these challenges in our culture, that we're here for a reason and, and we are adequate because you put us here for this time. But as we think about these changes, in, you know, we have these various feelings in us. And some of them are appropriate and some of them are motivated by fear. And we don't want to be motivated by fear. We want to be motivated by the way that you view the world. We want to be motivated by your love for people. We want to be motivated by our love for people. We want to be motivated by the fact that everyone will live forever somewhere. And their knowledge of Jesus depends on us. So, we're going to need your help to do what you've called us to do. We're going to need your, your wisdom So we pray that you will make us wise in our culture. That you'll really give us good discernment. And that you'll, with that good discernment, give us boldness. The same kind of boldness that Jesus' followers had in Acts. We know that that kind of boldness comes from your Holy Spirit. So we pray, Spirit, that you would fill us with boldness. That we could be salt and light in this valley. So we ask you to do these things. And we pray that... You'll be with us in the weeks ahead as we think about how it is that we carry this rollout out in this changing culture. Give us what we need to do your will and work in us what's pleasing to you. We ask it through Jesus. Amen.